As ever, it's an absolute pleasure to welcome back Jochenan Plesner. He's been a great friend to Bicom over the years. I remember many years when he was a member of parliament, taking delegations to meet him, and he always made himself available when he could. And I would add that throughout the years, he's also been a valuable contributor to Fathom Journal, um, adding his valuable insights um, on, the, on the political situation over the years. Um, and finally, just to thank Jochenan and his colleagues also at the Israel Democracy Institute, we, uh, we, we appreciate their work. We kind of rely on lots of your analysis and your experts to kind of to inform, to inform our own analysis and share that with our audience. So we very much appreciate that, uh, that partnership as well. Um, so today, of course, we're going to discuss the, uh, the trying to break the deadlock um, within, the, within the politics we have. We have a kind of breathing period or a, a holding pattern because after the president gave the prime minister the mandate last week, he now has just over three weeks to fulfill that mandate and to try and present to government. But we'll come on to that uh, shortly. Perhaps, Jochenan, if I can start just by asking you perhaps a technical issue, but also one of principle and one that I get asked regularly from UK audiences, but uh, about electoral reform. Some candidates have spoken about term limits, other about raising the threshold or even incorporating a German style constituency model. Um, I'd love to know where do you think the public is on this agenda and what are the recommendations that the, your institute, the Israel Democracy Institute, is making specifically on electoral reform? Well, uh, it's interesting that you're asking this question. And, and first of all, hello, and uh, thanks for having me. And it's uh, great to uh, join a, a BICOM uh, a venue, albeit an online uh, venue. And uh, we've been doing it uh, many times in the past. Electoral reform is, uh, is an absolute necessity uh, given in, in the current situation just uh, uh, brings that point home. We're in a situation of a, a two-year-long, more than a two-year-long paralysis. Uh, it's quite clear that the political, uh, is, uh, that our electoral system cannot uh, 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 bring about a decisive outcome for an election, which is uh, a prerequisite for an election campaign is that, is that we will know who is the winner. And in our case, our election system does not produce a clear winner. The Israeli people realize it by now. Uh, if you ask the Israeli people, what are your preferences? Is it um, uh, a greater regional um, uh, model rather than uh, a greater stress on the threshold on term limits? I don't. I, I think those are uh, uh, discussions that are led by uh, professionals, and not so much the uh, the Israeli public is not in, engaged in that level of a discussion. But there is clearly an understanding that the system produces an undecisive, indecisive outcome, is unstable, and does not uh, uh, provide a, a, a solid and sound planning horizon uh, for whoever is in government. Uh, usually government uh, uh, members and other, and the different parties that form our coalition, we have uh, too many parties in the coalition and therefore they find themselves competing against one another rather than collaborating with each other. So we have many failures in our electoral system. They've been around and we've been aware of them and in and, and, and speaking about them for, for years, for, for two decades since the system was changed about 20 years ago. But the current crisis, um, like the COVID crisis did for many other things, in this case, it's not the COVID crisis, it's the crisis around the prime minister 
um, uh, pronounces uh, 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 the need and accentuates or, or makes them a lot more um, uh, um, apparent, the failures of the system and therefore the need for change. But one, one word I won't talk about unless you'll ask me again, what is the formula for change, which idea we, we've developed, but I'll, I'll talk about the viability of change. So there, you know, if, if we're going to have, and it's unclear, a government with Mr. Netanyahu and his ultra-Orthodox partners, we will see more of the same in this respect. There's no chance that there will be an electoral system, an electoral change because the ultra-Orthodox parties are strongly opposed to any such change and they're strong allies of the prime minister and therefore nothing is expected to change. If on the other hand, we're going to have what was labeled lately the change coalition, that can be a common denominator that will bring those uh, players that otherwise that otherwise have uh, 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 different ideologies on, on, on economic and security areas. And it can actually provide a raison d'etre for such a coalition, something that will uh, create the common denominator and, 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 and legitimacy them to act. So if there's a change coalition, I think there's also um, a prospect for change in this respect. Thank you. Um, just one idea that one of our listeners floated to me that I hadn't thought of, but it seems like a, a novel idea, but to increase the size of the chamber, the idea that Israel, 120 seats, has had that since independence in 1948, and since then the country's population has grown uh, tenfold. I wondered if there is a, any, any statistics you're familiar with to compare Israel's proportion to uh, population per seat, and if you think that is that would affect uh, governability. Well, actually, uh, you're right that Israel's uh, uh, Knesset is particularly small uh, with respect uh, in, in proportion to the size of our population, 120 out of a population of 800,000 in the foundation of the state versus 120 out of 9 million today. But I, uh, and uh, our uh, set of recommendations for how to reform the electoral and political system include also a recommendation for enlarging the Knesset. But uh, frankly, I don't think that this is the most urgent uh, um, uh, para uh, uh, components of our recommendations, because given the fact that there's such a crisis of trust in our electoral system, Israelis don't trust politicians. They don't think the Knesset functions well. They don't think the government functions well. Now is not the time to create, say, additional 60 uh, uh, jobs for Knesset members that are perceived and in, in, in many ways also uh, justifiably so as, uh, as uh, ineffective. So first we have to um, improve and, and reform uh, the Knesset as an institution among our three governing institution legislator, which is the Knesset, executive branch, the government and the judiciary. There's much talk about the relationship between the judiciary and the government. And, uh, and the fact that uh, there are claims that the judiciary intervenes too much and there's a, 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 a package of legislation that the prime minister is preparing in order to undermine uh, uh, the independence of the judiciary and so on. But in reality, when you look at this triangle, the weakest link is actually the Knesset. And the, the Knesset, and uh, in, 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 in we have an entire set of recommendations about how to strengthen the Knesset as a supervising body, how to um, reduce uh, the uh, quantity 
of private legislation that is running through the pipelines of the Knesset and in many ways clogging it. Uh, so if you look at this triangle, we need to strengthen the Knesset and, uh, and retain a, a, a healthy uh, a relationship of checks and balances between uh, the judiciary and the um, uh, uh, executive and legislative branches. Because in Israel, again, we're, uh, except for the unique UK case, we're the only functioning democracy without a constitution. And uh, so there, there's nothing that ensures and, and, and um, guarantees the checks and balances in our democratic system. And the only institution that checks the otherwise overwhelming and disproportionate power of a political majority is an independent uh, Supreme Court. So uh, from a democratic standpoint, we it, it, is, it is extremely important that we um, uh, preserve the independence of this uh, important institution uh, uh, that plays a very important democratic uh, role. Absolutely. Um, if we now turn our attention to, to the coalition building, as I mentioned, the situation appears almost a stalemate. Netanyahu has the backing of, of 52 MKs formally, and he's now trying to desperately uh, gather another nine. Obviously, we're seeing, as we're, as we're speaking, uh, Netanyahu and Naftali Bennett are, are meeting again for a, for a third time this afternoon. And then there is the idea of either from within or without bringing in the, uh, the Islamic party of Ram as well. But before we get into some of those uh, details, I mean, what, as we stand now three weeks in, how do you rate his chances of succeeding? Mr. Netanyahu's chances or generally yeah. the chances of not rolling into well, let's start with let's start with Netanyahu's chances. Well, Netanyahu's chances are not very high. The, uh, his famous uh, block of supporters, the strong uh, alliance of supporters is down to 52, which is the ultra-Orthodox parties and the uh, uh, extreme right-wing party led by Mr. Smotrich. So that adds up plus the Likud to 52. Bennett no longer sees himself as part of Netanyahu's bloc. And it's, in many ways, it's uh, the result of Netanyahu's own doing. Uh, Netanyahu didn't include him in the unity government and, uh, and, and, and generally wasn't extremely kind to Bennett. Bennett was also extremely critical of the way Mr. Netanyahu uh, uh, managed the COVID crisis and uh, especially the economic aspects of the COVID crisis. And he was very public and vocal about it. Um, so he doesn't have a, um, a strong incentive to join Netanyahu's uh, uh, government. So even if, uh, and Bennett doesn't have the numbers that can allow Netanyahu to form a government. So even if Bennett joins the Netanyahu, the 52 of the nat natural allies of Mr. Netanyahu plus Bennett seven, it add, adds up to 59 and that's not enough. You need uh, 61. So, uh, so uh, to some extent, the, uh, Bennett doesn't really have to decide because Netanyahu, uh, he, he doesn't provide the deciding votes that then uh, will put all the, uh, place all the pressure on him. Uh, on the other hand, uh, it seems like Bennett has an alternative option also to form a government with the what's called the change coalition, which, which is a combination of medium-sized parties from the right, Gidon Saar, Bennett, and Lieberman, uh, medium-sized parties from the center, Yair Lapid and Benny Gantz, and, uh, and uh, left-wing parties, Labour and Merits. All of these uh, parties, it adds up um, uh, to around uh, 58. 
and they would still need uh, to rely on uh, the uh, uh, abstention uh, of uh, both the uh, Ra'am and, uh, and the joint uh, list, or at least the joint list, but um, uh, perhaps if they want to stabilize the coalition. So, so that creates a very unique situation. Neither Mr. Netanyahu in his most optimistic scenario, nor the Bennett-Lapid combination have an option of forming a government without the support or at least the abstention of uh, one or two of the parties that represent the Arab minority. Uh, this was this never happened in Israel's history. So uh, perhaps uh, Richard, uh, we can uh, talk about uh, the implications or if, if that would happen, but this is uh, might have groundbreaking and long-term implications on Israel's uh, a, a political system. But the short answer to your question, what are Netanyahu's chances? Um, um, right now, he needs both Mr. Smotrich to agree to uh, base uh, this government on the abstention of Ram, the Islamic party, which Smotrich uh, vehemently uh, opposes that prospect. And he needs to lure Bennett in and, and, and agree with him. It looks, um, I would say, uh, 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 somewhere between uh, uh, low and medium uh, chances. But then again, all uh, the only thing that is required is the agreement of one or two people. But one, the moment Mr. Smotrich says, yes, I will even support you from the outside, even for a limited period, that changes the entire dynamic. And then, uh, and then it will all be about the renegotiation between Bennett and Netanyahu. Bennett provided an indication that the uh, right government is his first priority and um, uh, and and that means that he will uh, uh, enter such that a little awkward but if we uh, uh, take Bennett's uh, statements at face value this is what he intends to do so just to play out a, a scenario that Netanyahu doesn't succeed within his allocated uh, um, three three more weeks and the mandate then passes to a combination of Lapid and uh, and Naftali Bennett. Do you think there's a scenario they could bring the ultra-Orthodox with them instead of relying on the Arab support? Uh, Lapid and Bennett, I don't think so, because that would require also to break away from uh, uh, Lieberman. And uh, that would be very unwise of Lapid to, um, uh, to basically uh, disintegrate the the block uh, that helps him to block, you know, that is, you know, the, his, his natural allies on his side, uh, and the ultra orthodox are are the natural allies of Mr. Netanyahu. So if if uh, Lapid will bring them in at the expense of uh, Lieberman, he will lose Lieberman. Then the ultra orthodox can uh, go back to Mr. Netanyahu and that government. Uh, fall. So it will be a very unstable government and it will be very unwise for Lapid to uh, uh, show such, uh, uh, I would say, po political disloyalty to Lieberman and perhaps Meretz uh, that are, are natural allies in his own camp. So I don't think that's a scenario. The, a more likely scenario, again, is, is uh, uh, Bennett plus the uh, Zionist parties within the change coalition that add up uh, again to about... Uh, uh, 51 plus Bennett 58, that creates a, again a minority government of 58. 
but uh, Lapid already said he will allow Bennett to go first in a rotation government. So uh, that will create a, yet another unprecedented uh, uh, situation whereby for the first time, not only will we have a government that will be formed with the support or based on the support or abstention of the uh, parties that represent the Arab minority, but also it will be the, 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 the prime minister will not be the leader of the largest party or leader of one of the two main large parties, but rather the leader of a single digit small party. For Bennett, it's, it's a very appealing option because uh, he, he, he has high ambitions, but so far, uh, every time we entered, uh, we entered the, end, the last um, uh, leg of an election campaign, he was struggling to cross the threshold and uh, struggling for his political survival. And just uh, in 2019, even in one of the election cycles, he didn't cross the, the threshold. So it would be quite remarkable for somebody who didn't cross the threshold now to enter uh, the prime minister's office as Israel's uh, uh, prime minister, so a very um, uh, unique uh, achievement. This is why I said before that it would be, that I, I would find it awkward that Bennett is not doing whatever it takes and whatever is possible um, uh, to materialize uh, uh, this scenario, especially because he's very critical also of Mr. Netanyahu and the way he managed uh, the uh, country's affairs vis-a-vis -vis the COVID crisis and generally over the past year. And I know not only in public conversations, but also in private conversations, Bennett is very critical and in many ways in the sense that he freed himself from Mr. Netanyahu's aura as a leader that uh, sort of Bennett had the tendency to follow. So that this is why I'm rather surprised that Bennett is so sort of a, uh, at least uh, publicly uh, demonstrates that he will uh, go first and foremost with Netanyahu. Uh, there are two explanations to that. One is that he knows that anyway Netanyahu doesn't have the numbers and therefore it demonstrates uh, uh, to the right-wing constituency that supports, uh, supports him that he preferred a right-wing option and is only forming a national unity government with a center left only as a last resort in order to prevent the fifth election. And the second uh, uh, option is that uh, uh, he's indeed very fearful of the uh, uh, right-wing uh, constituency and right-wing base that will uh, not uh, forgive him, quote unquote, for not, allow, not enabling the creation of a right-wing government. And therefore he might be prime minister, but lose his constituency in the long, in the long run. I think that calculus might lead his judgment but I, I, I'm not sure it's the right calculus because um, once uh, he enters, if he decides to enter and if that will be the um, turn of events, once one enters the prime minister's office, um, many things change. Uh, you, you enter a leadership position, you set the national agenda, you make national level decisions, Netanyahu will again go uh, to the opposition things will change and, and he will have an opportunity, ample opportunities uh, to reposition himself in, his, in the public's eye. And therefore, I, I think that if he, if he will have the opportunity to become prime minister and he won't grab it, it will be a mistake. And, he, and in a sense, he will prove that he's not cut out for the job. Can I ask you, I mean, in, in principle, um, what, do you, what do you think of the idea? I mean, when you said it's unprecedented that a party with seven seats 
would be able to leverage itself to become prime minister. What are the what are the implications there? And is it does it does it work governability wise? Well, Israel is a coalition system. We again we are strong advocates of electoral reform, which will be a, a, a determination that the leader of the largest party to change the system in a way whereby the leader of the largest party will become prime minister. That will provide a massive uh, incentive for voters to vote for one of two major blocks for political uh, 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 parties and outfits to form an, a strong incentive for them to form together. And then we're going to have two major blocks uh, uh, that are competing with one another and, and we won't reach such a, a absurd situations. But this is not our electoral system now. Our electoral system now is different. And, uh, and given the weaknesses of our electoral system and the fact that Netanyahu is in such a unique situation under indictment in the evidentiary phase of his uh, trial, having to go to court three times a week, um, uh, confronting almost on a daily basis the judiciary and the law enforcement institutions from a position of prime minister, uh, leading decision-making processes such as nominations, having to appoint uh, a state prosecutor and not doing it for almost two years because while he's in a conflict of interest. We are in a situation of awkward on top of awkward on top of awkward. And given that situation, I think that, uh, um, and therefore many uh, political players that otherwise would have uh, gone with Mr. Netanyahu and formed the government are not willing to do so. So given, uh, and, and the degrees of freedom of the system are a lot more limited. Given all of that, and given the fact that without Bennett, there's no 61 and, uh, and, and there's a, a high likelihood of a fifth election campaign, I think it's, uh, if it's that option versus going to a fifth election, it's, this option is better. We're trained, well-trained and well-versed in managing coalition uh, governments. It's not like Bennett will run the government on his own. He will need the, uh, to build a majority in the government. They will have various veto, mutual veto arrangements between him and Lapid to make sure that the agenda only promotes uh, 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 items that are uh, in consensus. So I think given the very, uh, to put it mildly, unique situation we're at, which is a, a point of a crisis and, and, and risk uh, to our institutions, uh, to our democratic institutions, I think that uh, um, uh, that might be a reasonable way out of the uh, um, uh, of the of the mess. Thank you. Um, so you mentioned it before, and I'd love to just to, to to hear more about it. The kind of the the watershed moment in the legitimization of both Arab parties or the two Arab factions in their role in Israeli politics, partly perhaps legitimized by Netanyahu for very pragmatic reasons, but kind of then. Almost, almost replicated and respected across the uh, across the political spectrum. What do you, how do you how do you assess it, and and what are the long term implications there? Well, as I mentioned, it's a it's a huge political event. Mr. Netanyahu, one of his major political projects, beginning in the mid nineties, was to delegitimize the participation in coalition politics of the representatives of the Arab minority. Um, for those, for those of us who are less uh, well-versed in Israel's political history, the last government that relied on, on such support was Rabin's government back in the beginning of the 90s. He, he had a majority without the Arab parties, with Shas, it, it was 62 seats, but 
uh, once uh, Arya Deri, who continues to be Shash's chairman, was indicted, and he's also about to be indicted again. Um, uh, he had he resigned from the government, and Shas left Rabin's coalition, and Rabin's government remained intact only because he had the outside support of uh, of uh, uh, the Arab the, the parties that represented the Arab minority. He had five, about five seats that supported him from the outside, and much of the delegitimization against Rabin was around that issue. Uh, that he quote unquote relies on, let's put it mildly, non-Zionist support. But again, the 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 way it was uh, uh, presented vis-a-vis -vis Rabin was a lot harsher and uh, and lower. And um, uh, and ever since, and Netanyahu realized that if uh, the Arab votes count, it will be a lot more difficult for the Israeli right to secure its grip over power. So there was a major project of delegitimizing and at the same time building a strong, unshakable, unbreakable alliance with the ultra-Orthodox parties and to ensure that they will only go with Israeli right. And both of those projects, political projects, were successful. And, 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 and Mr. Netanyahu today built a, a, an extremely solid and strong alliance with the ultra-Orthodox parties. And at the same time, it became uh, absolutely clear that the Arab, the, 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 most of the Arab votes that goes to the, to those sectorial parties uh, is not cannot be counted when one forms a coalition. So it became ever more difficult for uh, parties from the center left to form a government. Um, and, and again, that was Mr. Netanyahu's strategy, and from his vantage point, it was a very successful one. Um, it, it also relied on deeper. Um, uh, uh, fears and, and, and views within the Israeli public, both in the Jewish and Arab uh, communities. In the Arab community, there was no, there was no legitimacy in many ways to uh, be part of governments. Uh, we won't go into the history, but it, there was no legitimacy for it. This has changed over the past few years. And over the past few years, we've at IDI, we're measuring it and following it and tracking it and, and reporting on it. And, and, and we saw that around 85% of Israel's Arab citizens want their political re representatives to join coalition governments. This is quite dramatic. And, um, and, uh, and, and therefore we, we've been, uh, we're beginning to see the change in the political behavior of, those, uh, uh, of their representatives. We saw it as they recommended Mr. Gantz as they met with him for a coalition negotiation in, in previous campaigns and so on. So there was change on the Arab side, but the Jewish majority, there was still solid opposition against that idea. And, and, and that can mainly be understood in the context of uh, uh, the, the, um, the um, uh, conflict with the Palestinians and many Israeli Arabs. Uh, I mean, a component of their identity is Palestinian and we still have an active conflict with the Palestinians. So for many Israelis, it was difficult to come to terms with the idea that uh, the government uh, will depend and, 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 and uh, those who will be able to topple the government uh, uh, can in, in many ways dictate the policy if we have a confrontation with Gaza and so on. Uh, the prime minister will have to rely on, on people that might have some sympathy to the other side or something of that sort led many Israelis to think that it's an, an impossibility. This is changing quite dramatically, although it looks like it's um, uh, uh, like 
a geological uh, 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 earth plate that can change, you know, like, you know, for Israelis, it's difficult, but these things are changing rapidly and the numbers that we uh, um, track and publish regularly, we see that uh, for the first time now, there's a, a majority of Jews, a, a big majority in the Israeli population that includes Jews and Arabs, but also within the Jewish population, a majority who support the notion uh, that uh, uh, that uh, uh, those parties can join the coalition, it's legitimate for them, including a dramatic rise within the Israeli right. And this obviously is largely uh, to the credit of Mr. Netanyahu's campaign to legitimize it. So Netanyahu, who started 25 years ago and being the great delegitimizer of that, is now uh, correcting his own uh, uh, doing and is now serving as the is the major legitimizer, but now he has to deal with the effectiveness of his own past strategy. And Mr. Smotrich does not refuse to accept that uh, uh, legitimacy. And 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 this brought us here. But going forward, and I'll end with that going uh, that point. Going forward, uh, once uh, uh, the participation of the uh, uh, representatives of the Arab minority in coalition politics has been legitimized and normalized. This changes the dynamics because it means that we no longer that there that there's no longer only an option of forming a government with the support of the ultra orthodox parties. It means that there are way more options for forming governments, and then that might uh, uh, free the country from the. A rather extreme monopoly of the ultra-orthodox parties in areas of religion and state and, and so on. So, so it, it might have far-reaching consequences once that participation in, in our politics will be normalized and, uh, uh, and, uh, and, and in this respect, I understand that Mr. Smotrich's opposition is to some extent principled. He understands that if he will allow that to happen in the long term, uh, the Israeli right will lose a massive um, a strategic advantage that it has over the Israeli center-left. Thank you for that. If I could just ask, I mean, just to follow on, from the, from the perspective of the Israeli Arab community, and specifically uh, United Arab List, RAM, which is affiliated with the wider Islamic movement and the, and the, and the Muslim Brotherhood even, how do we understand, how should we understand and reconcile their ideological relationship between the very transactional and reasonable approach that they're now presenting, at least in Hebrew? Well, Ram Party, led by Mansour Abbas, is, um, uh, is basically an off, is the pragmatic offshoot of Israel's Islamic uh, uh, movement. You, you would say the cousins of the Muslim Brotherhood in Egypt and uh, Hamas in the West Bank, and there's also um, some kind of version is the Erdogan's party. So, so it doesn't sound that promising if I present it in this way. But the, historically, there were uh, 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 they split up into the, uh, the northern movement and the southern movement. The northern movement, i.e., had leaders that were more uh, based in the Galilee, and uh, the. Uh, it complied or held on to an ideology that was more like, say, the Muslim Brotherhood and so on, that saw in, Israel, in, in the idea of Israel as a Jewish and democratic state uh, 
their main idea was that this is illegitimate and so on, it needs to end, uh, versus the uh, Southern movement uh, that, you know, obviously they're very religious and uh, uh, hold on to the, uh, you know, would probably prefer Sharia law and so on, but the entire politics is a much more pragmatic politics of uh, uh, aspires to make uh, uh, concrete achievements in the economic uh, uh, development areas and so on. So this is, uh, uh, and, and Mansour Abbas that, you know, belongs to that trend, took it one step further. He's the leader of the Ram party. As he saw, as he read in, in public opinion polls and understood the trends within Israeli Arabs that there's an expectation not only to sort of be the uh, bearers of the uh, flag of you know the Palestinian cause and so on, and, but rather to ensure that the Israeli uh, Arab population uh, uh, gains access to equal allocation of government funding, the uh, development, homeland security. So basically to the concrete uh, tangible challenges which affect the daily lives of uh, Israel's Arabs. It also has to do with the a disappointment and disenchantment from the Arab Spring and understanding that uh, that uh, living in a country with functioning institutions, independent judiciary, as a functioning social security, uh, a good health system, and a welfare state. I mean, there's also an upside to it, and that this, you know, being citizens of Israel is is their faith, and it's a faith that perhaps doesn't fulfill all of their desires. But is in in comparison to what's happening in the region, it's uh, it's um, uh, 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 their lot is is, is uh, includes also uh, uh, many fortunes as well. And uh, and that if if this is the case, then you know why not uh, um, uh, be fully fledged citizens? It also has to do with trends that have to do with young Arabs that uh, tend to go more to academia. Uh, uh, want more opportunities in the workforce, entire disciplines like the health discipline have been opened up and, uh, and are many, mainly or largely populated by uh, members of the Arab community. So there's a healthy uh, process of integration at the social and economic uh, level. And now it's also achieving the political level. We've been dealing with it very closely at IDI, helping uh, promote pragmatic policies of integration in the workforce, integration in government, improving government allocation and decision-making, improving the education system and informal education. There's so much that can be done and, and this is very much the focus of that population. And Mansour Abbas, you know, took it to the next level and, and, and now he has to, to deliver. So, uh, 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 this is why he indicates quite openly that he can go with either side because what he wants is uh, to uh, that what he's measured upon is tangible achievements to his population and not uh, on the big questions of two states and so on. Thank you for that. Just to move it on slightly, um, your experience going back as when you were a member of Knesset and you've even been kind of as an insider in the room, I wonder if you could just give us a give us a flavour of what it's like in the negotiating room when you're trying to build a build a coalition. What are the balance of kind of competing interests and over over position uh, positions or portfolios or legislative agenda? Where does the what's what's it like? 
Well, this is an extremely consequential moment in 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 public life. It's a sort of a golden, it, it's a golden moment, golden opportunities. In, uh, you know, in, in there are analogies from other fields of a sort of a moments where you know that are extremely uh, meaningful that sort of set a future path. This is the coalition negotiation. First and foremost, because it's an allocation of the uh, uh, you know goodies of who who will uh, will be appointed where, and for politicians, obviously, it's very uh, important. It determines how whether they will be able to be impactful, uh, and and this is what they also you know occupies much of their attention span. Who will reach uh, which position, whether chairmanship of a committee? And ministry or prime ministership and, and, and so on. And, and how will the uh, uh, system of wielding power take place? Veto powers, decision-making, uh, uh, chairmanships of government committees and so on. Second thing is that the big agenda items, if you wanna do anything big, you need to talk about it and agree on it in the coalition negotiation. Whatever, you, whatever is not included there and is big and would have big, uh, major objection later on, the likelihood of it actually happening later uh, afterwards, if it wasn't agreed upon in principle at least, or 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 better uh, with great detail during the coalition negotiation, then the likelihood of it actually happening is very low. So the big priorities, forget about the, the sort of general cliches of the government will promote uh, peace and security and uh, and economic growth, but if you want to promote electoral reform. If you want to uh, promote uh, a government reform to cut down the number of ministries uh, to a much more uh, reasonable and, and digestible size, if you want to um, agree on a on a, on a, a basic law bill that will uh, or sort of a bill that will determine the procedures of legislating basic laws and and will basically let. Uh, normalize the relationship or re regulate the relationship between the executive and, 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 and legislative branch. All of those things need to, on, on areas of religion and state, anything that you want to change, approach to uh, uh, non-Orthodox streams of Judaism, anything that you want to change uh, need, or veto needs to take place. So, uh, and, and there's very little time because most of the time is allocated to uh, the allocation of, uh, of uh, power positions and authorities, and therefore it's a, you know, major decisions can be uh, decided in, in short moments, and historically it's decided very close to the deadline. Sometimes even as the Prime Minister drives to the Knesset from his office, his, uh, his speech is still not ready uh, with the actual allocation of ministries, and is still undergoing editing in and, uh, and, uh, and changes because they're sort of last, uh, last, uh, last minute pressures. Finally, I'll say, Richard, that uh, somebody once uh, taught me in politics that, when, you know, about the question, when does an election end? So one, you know, one would think it ends when people stop voting or when the, uh, um, uh, the committee in the ballot, uh, you know, signs the protocol with the result or the election committee submits the results to the president, or when a new Knesset afterwards convenes. But the, the, the real point where you can say now the elections are over is when a new government 
is, is introduced to the Knesset and you actually see what is the what is the outcome of the re-election? Who's prime minister? Who is defense minister? What is the political translation of the fact that people went and vote? How was it then translated into allocations of positions and to an agenda? So in many ways, you can say that we still don't know what the results of the election, but they are now being worked out uh, in, in, in closed rooms with many uh, uh, cigarettes. Um, you mentioned it in, in passing before, um, but of course, in parallel to this process of coalition formation, the evidentiary stage of the prime minister's trial um, has begun. I thought it was very significant that uh, the president showed his disdain that explained his decision to give the prime minister the mandate that he had legally obliged to do so, that he hold, held no pleasure in doing so, and then avoided the photo op. Um, but I wondered kind of in impounded upon a layer of, of dysfunction in government, how much more is the trial going to, to disrupt the current functioning? Um, and what have you made of the trial so far? Well, uh, on, on the one hand, um, on the one hand, uh, one would say that the trial, that the effects of the trial already factored into the uh, considerations and calculations of public opinion. We've been talking about Netanyahu's interrogations and then indictment since 2016 or 2017. So it's already factored into the uh, decision-making of the different players and cannot really have much an effect. People made up their mind if there's some, and many care about it, Many don't care about it, and those who care about it uh, are opposed to Mr. Netanyahu, and those who think that it uh, support Netanyahu have been persuaded by him that it was politically motivated and, and therefore can be disregarded. So, uh, so in this respect, uh, yet another milestone in the trial has not much effect. On the other hand, um, the evidentiary phase is... Uh, qualitatively, but also quanti quantitatively, but also qualitatively different. Because this is where the trial really gets into a different uh, uh, course of events, where there's three times a week, uh, 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 meetings in court uh, with witnesses and so on, and Netanyahu, and, and no information comes out. It's not already leaking to the press of bits and pieces, but rather the whole narrative is out there. And, uh, and, and Netanyahu's uh, lawyers have to be there all day and they have to brief him and they develop and change his strategies. So it requires a lot more attention span and pronounces the, uh, and it makes it so visible, the fact that the, 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 the issue of conflict of interest from the perspective, both of time allocation I mean, dealing with such a complex and serious uh, uh, trial and legal allegations uh, for corruption that might send him uh, to jail for many years, uh, it draws a lot of his attention. And, uh, and, and that wasn't the case in, in, in previous stages. So this is one aspect. The other is that uh, uh, the conflict between him and the attorney general, the, the prosecutors in the court, it becomes almost on a daily basis. And that, that again, very much pronounces the conflict of interest between him as a prime minister who is in charge of those people and him as a, a, a defendant that confronts them uh, uh, both in court and outside of the court. So, 
So I think that uh, 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 that makes things a lot more complicated. And it also has political implications. Again, if anyone is like Gantz before thought of uh, sort of in order to end the, polit end the political paralysis. So last year he decided to, uh, um, uh, you, know, you would say cross the bridge or whatever analogy you want to use and, and, and join with Mr. Netanyahu to build a national unity government. Today it will be uh, almost impossible to imagine for anyone who is not from the Netanyahu camp to go and, 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 and join Netanyahu when he's in such a stage. I've, I've got a question here that asks, you know, the, the, the rumors being suggested that uh, there could be a, com a, a combination to, to uh, send the, pre the prime minister to the president's uh, residence for that job afterwards in the summer. Do you think that uh, there's any sense of reality? Well, if we, uh, things have to happen uh, very fast. The timeline for electing a new president, uh, Rivlin uh, ends his job in beginning of July. The Knesset has to, by uh, at the latest, by end of June, uh, um, uh, 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 schedule uh, a time for a vote in the Knesset's assembly. And this has to be uh, announced about three weeks before. So within a month, the, the speaker of the Knesset needs to announce the date of the election. Um, if Netanyahu wants to uh, 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 compete and uh, uh, in this way try to dodge the legal process by relying on the fact that a president cannot be indicted, it also means that he will have to change the law in a way that uh, will determine that the president can not only not be indicted, but also existing legal processes would be suspended, halted, or ended altogether. Uh, and that would be a very controversial uh, legislation. And that would have to pass in a, in a, a speedy timeline. And, and, and given the current election results and the uh, uh, unreasonableness of, of such a, a proposition, the idea that you're legislating for a specific person and end of his legal proceedings. I think that makes it uh, uh, less likely. So I wonder just on the, on the note of electing a president, if you could just talk us through perhaps some of the other lead, lead contenders and how you see that, uh, how you see that competition playing well, out. Usually we, by now it would, we would be in the heat of the presidential uh, campaigns. And, and you know, some of our uh, uh, viewers or listeners or participants are aware, uh, Israel is electing its uh, its president uh, in the in the Knesset, in a uh, uh, in a, a, a clandestine vote, a vote that I mean, no, no, and uh, and therefore uh, that makes it uh, that makes this process an extremely uh, interesting one for political commentators because. Uh, if you if the candidates uh, count the amount of uh, pledges that they get for uh, support from MKs, it's about uh, you know 480 and not 120, because MKs can sort of multiply their promises because nobody knows whether they deliver or not behind the behind the ballot. Um, in a regular situation, by now we would know a lot more about it. Um, now because of the whole political mess. Uh, it, it, it will very much be determined also in the coalition negotiation. 
and, and be included as, as an item there. Um, except for the idea of Mr. Netanyahu, there is talk of Mr. Bougie Herzog, but I, I'm not sure what, what is his uh, uh, political base. I mean, because the Labour Party shrunk, you know, to only about seven seats. So I don't think at this point we can point out uh, uh, any uh, sort of leading candidates. It's, it's, uh, it's an unusual year also in this respect. I understand. Well, if, just as a final question, if I could ask you to kind of to go back to the, the coalition negotiations and where we are now with uh, Netanyahu three weeks to go, and then the scenario that we've discussed of uh, potentially Lapid and Bennett working out uh, a 58 uh, minority government with the support of the Arabs from the, from the outside. Is that a working scenario? If you had to make a prediction, would that, will one of those scenarios work out or are we going to a fifth election? The idea of legitimacy, uh, the, the, once the idea that it's legitimate enough given the political circumstances and, and, and whatever, that it's legitimate to rely on the abstention or the outside support of, of the, uh, what's labeled the Arab parties, but it's basically the parties that are supported by, mainly by the Arab, uh, members of the Arab minority. Um, and then there's a, a path for a coalition. Netanyahu's path is, seems to be blocked, but you know, never say never. He has all three weeks to go. Um, and therefore I estimated that it's a, a medium to low probability. But if Netanyahu fails, the path for a Bennett-Lapid government, they already agreed on the major issues of going on rotation, who goes first. Um, so I think you know the basic foundations for a government are there. Uh, on, uh, none of them have neither the desire nor the interest to go to another election. And therefore, if it's not a Netanyahu-Bennett-Abbas government, it will probably be uh, Bennett, uh, Lapid, Gantz, Abbas, or the TV government. <laughs> so, ironically, whoever, uh, if, assuming we're not going to have a, a fifth election, the only sure thing is that one that Bennett and uh, one of the Arab parties will be in the coalition, and all the rest is still unknown. Fantastic, Yochanan. Thank you so much indeed for your time today. Thank you all for joining us as well. 